Welcome back to the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. I brought on Tristan Freeman, uh, the managing editor for Busting Brackets. You can find him on Twitter, at HoopsNut351. Tristan, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, we definitely have a lot to get into, so without wasting any time, uh, the first topic I want to discuss was a little bit of Gonzaga. They struggled this week, uh, trailed at the half at Portland, only won, you know, it was a narrow game against Pepperdine. Uh, what do you make of the, you know, recent, or at least this past week for Gonzaga, and is this kind of a thing to be a little bit concerned about? I'm I'm personally not concerned at all about them. In fact, I like I said on Twitter, I came away impressed by them because what we've seen all season long is these number one teams, as soon as they get some adversity or a close game, they all literally lose. And we saw t- two times last week with Gonzaga down by seven to Portland and you know, a tiny hostile crowd or sort of 50-50. And then going up against Pepperdine, who they've beaten 38 times in a row, finally had a close game, but instead of withering away, they held on towards the end. So, I mean, we can, you know, blast them for not winning by 20, 25 points, but so far this season, we've seen these top teams lose close games. You know, you got to give some credit to them when they actually win them. Yeah, I'm going to go on the opposite end. I do think it is a little bit of a concern, at least, that they're in these type of games against, you know, inferior competition. You know, teams like Duke have obviously, you know, lost to Stephen F. Austin, so any anyone is susceptible to losing. But I do think it is a slight concern that they're, you know, facing adversity this early in Pac-12 play. Uh, before they do face the, you know, top tier in talent teams in BYU and St. Mary's uh, in league play. Uh, my next question for you, do you think the Zags still deserve to be number one? Or do you rate maybe Duke, Kansas, uh, Butler is another team in the discussion. Uh, would you rate one of those teams number one or are you still on the Gonzaga bandwagon? Yeah, I'm still with Gonzaga number one. I just, you know, Duke beat Miami, you know, congrats. You know, uh, as far as Kansas goes, we would have had them number one before, but, uh, you know, they crapped the bed against Villanova. I just think that we, we shouldn't go too far on, you know, having it look like a, a, a beauty contest in terms of beating teams by 100. I think if you can just get the win, then you should just keep keep your spot for now. Besides, I think Gonzaga uh, has two road games coming up next week. Meanwhile, Duke and Kansas are going to have some tough battles as well. I don't think it really matters if Gonzaga falls or drops number one. I think at the end of the day for Gonzaga, they want to have that one seat out west. That's what their goal is. But I don't see a reason why they mess with the stand-ins until they actually lose. Yeah, I think... It- in my opinion, I'm probably going to place someone else just in the number one spot, spot in place of Gonzaga. I'm thinking either Butler or Duke at this point. Duke's rating really well in you know the metrics like Ken Palm, uh, Haslam metrics as well. Uh, 
throw Kansas in there, even though they did lose to Villanova not too long ago. Uh, Butler, you know, and this is but this Butler team I think has the best resume in the sport right now. I have them as the number one overall seed. So I, I'm still deciding what who I'll rank number one, but I I am not gonna have Gonzaga at the number one spot. Why do my rankings for tomorrow? Yeah, but they'll they'll eventually get back to number one just by simple attrition. So I don't think Bulldog fans will be too upset about it. If they're not like, you know, in a position like San Diego State is who can barely creep into the top ten despite being undefeated. So I think, you know, Gonzaga's best news of the week came off the court with the Jalen Hugs commitment. So even if they lose number one, I'm sure they won't cry too many tears. Yeah. Moving on, uh, San Diego State, they picked up uh, maybe their t- last tough re- or real tough test uh, win of the season or the regular season at least, uh, winning at Utah State. Uh, this is a big win just because, you know, it means, you know, I guess New Mexico on the road is a tough environment. They'll still have that game in front of them. But really, San Diego State is set up to go undefeated in league play and enter the NCAA tournament uh, without a loss. First question, do you think San Diego State enters Selection Sunday without a blemish on the resume? Yeah, I, I feel like, and, and I saw a lot of people talking about Saturday night, but I feel like we forget about what happened a month ago when they needed a three-pointer to beat San Jose State at home. And, you know, credit to the credit to San Jose State, they're definitely much better, you know, than being a doormat, but the Mountain West is, is a legitimately tough conference from one to seven. And while San, Jose, while San Diego State has been fantastic, they don't have the style to just blow teams out on a game-by-game basis. I wouldn't be shocked if they lose two or three games, not because they aren't a very talented team, but just the natural attrition. I think uh, uh, UNLV has finally gotten their groove with their new players and head coach. New Mexico will have Carlton Bragg back. And Nevada then has looked fantastic in conference play. It's, I think Jalen Harris and Jazz Johnson – you know, if they hit enough shots, they could take out the aspect. So I, I see less than a 5% chance they run the table. Great win against Utah State, but it, 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 they're bound to lose. I find it hard that where everyone gets upset, they'll be San, San Diego State of all teams that somehow avoids it all. Yeah, I, I think you'll probably see them slip up a game. You mentioned the San Jose State near loss uh earlier in the season, you know, it, it is hard to bring the consistent performance on a nightly basis, especially if you don't have quite the talent that, you know, maybe if a Duke or, you know, last year's Gonzaga team, or even this year's Gonzaga team played the schedule, you know, that San Diego State has, maybe those type of teams could go without slipping up. I don't really think San Diego State quite has that level of talent. Uh, Malachi Flynn is obviously a stud. Uh, can win them any game himself, but I do think they eventually slip up, probably end up going into Selection Sunday with one loss would be my best guess, but 
I do think they have probably a better chance than, or better than 5% chance of going, you know, to selection Sunday unbeaten. I'd say probably 15 would be my number. It's just hard to see because, you know, especially at home in the Mountain West, the very tough environment, Boise State, uh, New Mexico, UNLV, when their place is rocking. I mean, even Wyoming, as bad as they are, that's still a difficult place to play, and they usually can snag somebody when they're not looking. In fact, ironically, that's the next game for the Aztecs. So if they don't, you know, I'm sure they'll be high off the win at Utah State, but if they're not careful, who knows what can happen against Wyoming. They at least have a guy in Hunter Malnado who can, you know, possibly drop 30 on them. So you never know, but... I think for the Aztecs, their goal should be to get as high as possible seed in the West and possibly even one. They're dependent on if the power conferences keep taking each other out on a weekly basis. Yeah, I think their goal is either a one or a two seed in the West uh, West region. I, I currently have them in the air as the number one seed. I think their wins at the moment are a little bit better than Gonzaga's. Uh, but Gonzaga does have more opportunities than San Diego State to improve upon their resume. Uh, if both teams, let's say, you know, lose one more game, I think Gonzaga gets the nod for the West region. Uh, they're, you know, I, I think San Diego State as a team, though, is, you know, they're really good just as a whole, uh, can definitely go, you know, without losing a game or just losing one. I think they're probably the favorites in the Mountain West to win the league outright. Yeah, I think, and one thing, too, that should also help the Aztecs is K.J. Fagan, the transfer from Santa Clara, is still yet to get going. He's only averaging seven points a game, and he was averaging close to 15-16. So I know he's you know been more the defensive stopper and sort of allowed Flynn to take over, but... If if Fagan can have a couple of games where he takes over when Flynn's not when Flynn's not on his top game, that'll really put the Aztecs in a position where we should start seriously considering them as a Final Four threat. Yeah, I definitely think this is a Final Four contender type team. Uh, we'll see what they can do in Mountain West play, but it should be fun to watch. Uh, the next game one to talk about was uh, Kansas. Uh, they beat West Virginia kind of an ugly rock fight of a game. Uh, the main discussion I you know, kind of saw on Twitter about the game was it being on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, lots of frustrations with it going to streaming. Uh, what are your thoughts on you know, just the ESPN Plus movement and one having a big game like this on the Plus? Oh, I, I have no problem. I mean, it makes perfect business sense. I'm sure ESPN wants people, wants as many people as possible to get the plus. And, you know, if you're going to have a huge game like that instead of on ESPN2, especially considering that this was a uh, NFL wildcard weekend where they probably weren't going to get a max amount of viewers anyway, you might as well see if you can try and, you know, force some people into their hands, especially Big 12 fans, to get the ESPN Plus package, but I have it. You know, I'm not an ESPN employee, but I can vouch for 
how useful it is, especially for the mid-major conferences like the A-10 and SOCON. So, I mean, it, it's only $5, and you get a lot of content for it. I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world. Yeah, I think a lot of the pushback on ESPN Plus just in general is that's not you know, on the cable provider, uh, which I do think is a thing you know, some people are complaining about. I wonder if they maybe, you know, add an ESPN Plus channel, if that would maybe take away some of the complaints, uh, just as a whole. Yeah, I, I can see it, but, you know, it, it, in the end, ESPN is trying to, in, in the era of cord cutters, ESPN's trying to find reasons and ways to entice shooters to stay on with them, and I think... You know, there, there's some annoyances for those who don't have it, you know, the typical way. But, I mean, if you, if you really wanted to see it and it was a good game for sure, then I think you're willing to find ways to do it legally. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the actual game, uh, as mentioned, it was a rock fight. Oscar Tashibwe, uh, Yudoka Azubuke, you know, battled really well down low. Uh, that was about it, though, for the offense. A lot of missed free throws. Uh, but, you know, Kansas comes away with the win. I think it's their 29th consecutive uh, win to open Big 12 play, uh, if I'm re- remembering that statistic correctly. Uh, what did you make from the actual game? Yeah, this game, I think it really showed why Kansas is a Final Four threat and why West Virginia as scrappy and as hard as they play, I don't see them doing much past the Sweet 16. The lack of guard play for West Virginia is a problem. And they just they just have nothing consistent going for them outside outside of Oscar. And even Derek Colbert hasn't hasn't had that sophomore leap that we all were hoping he was gonna have. But Emmett Matthews Jr., Jermaine Haley, McCabe, a lot of people are wondering why he's even starting, but he's a good enough defender where you want him out there. It's, it, the Mountaineers just doesn't have enough. And while Kansas has their own questions, as long as Do- as long as Devon Dawson performs and gets held to Mazzaluki down low, Kansas will always be in contention to win, but they certainly aren't going to blow past anybody. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of low-scoring contests, which makes the Jayhawks vulnerable in the Big 12, for sure. Yeah. The one thing with Kansas, you know, this season, they've shown that they're not really, you know, they can play any type of style that you want. If you want to play an up-and-down game, they can do that. If you want to, you know, play a rock fight, they are more than, you know, happy doing that. They're, you know, a good defensive team. Uh, going back to West Virginia, you know, Oscar Chibwe and, you know, Miles McBride, the two freshmen, I think, right now are the two players you can count on, you know, getting performances out of. I, I, you know, Culver, you know, Haley, Matthews as well, you know, they've all been, you know, they've had a couple good games here and there, uh, but overall I do think, you know, they're maybe not fit to make a deep run, maybe get upset early uh, in the NCAA tournament, just because you you really don't know where to consistently go for offense, other than just dumping it into Oscar Shibway and letting him, uh, you know, shoot it and you know miss his own shot and then get an offensive rebound and then 
do whatever with that. Uh, but yeah, I do think on that point, West Virginia, I think, is a good team that can, you know, probably win 11, 12 Big 12 games. But I do think in the NCAA tournament, when it's one and done, if you don't get the consistent performances, you're poised to go out early, which I think it could be the case with West Virginia. Yeah, I think I think Bob Huggins, though, you can tell, I think he's, he's happier with this bunch because last year's team had much more skilled players overall and had guys who could score on offense, but clearly it was a... It wasn't a disciplined group. There were problems everywhere, and they played no defense whatsoever. So I think even though this team doesn't have a lot of score on offense, I think Huggins is appreciating that it's his style of play. It's what West Virginia is known for, and he's willing to live with that. And even despite the fact that he had uh, four starters looking at the stat sheet, score combined 16 points, they still was in the game in Lawrence. So I think West Virginia should overall be happy. I doubt, even though I wouldn't necessarily have them as a 2016, 2016 team, I still wouldn't want to see them in the NCAA tournament because they're going to make it ugly for whichever team. And if they get the right matchup, I mean, say even a Louisville team, who I'm sure we'll talk about later, who's a little more finesse, I can see them taking out Louisville just because of the matchup. Yeah, uh, speaking of Louisville, that was actually the next game on the docket to discuss. Uh, so good plug there from you, Tristan. Uh, Louisville goes uh, loses to Florida State at home. Uh, the first question I have, though, is Florida State a contender in the ACC? Oh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, and this is, and I can certainly say it about myself, and I'm sure others could too, We'll never truly look at Florida the same way we do UNC, Duke, and the others because Florida State never has that star guy. They never have that player of the year contender that we all look and watch for. It's a collective bunch. and in, But the problem is everyone that, the, that more, uh, Leonard Hamilton plays all contributes. So it's literally a death by a thousand cuts. They can score consistently. Their defense is always on point. And they're always a bigger team with a lot of athletes and bodies that just wears you out. So could they win the ACC? Absolutely. Duke's young. Louisville is flawed. Virginia doesn't have an offense. And UNC is off the picture. So I think in a 20-game marathon, the Seminoles absolutely can do it. And not only that, I would be surprised if this is a Final Four contender. Yeah, I'm also very high on the Cardinal as or Seminoles as a whole. Uh, Devin Vassell has taken the step forward. Uh, MJ Walker really impressed in that game. I'm a little bit concerned. You know, is he going to you know play like he did against Louisville? If he does, then Florida State's obviously a team that can you know beat anyone in the country. Uh, he stepped up big in that game, 23 points. They're going to play their defensive style, you know, long, athletic, uh, get-in-your-face type of style. It's really the offense that's the question with this team. And, you know, they really showed up well on this this past game against Louisville, uh, especially MJ Walker, Trent Forrest, Devin Vassell, the three-headed monster, uh, 
all three stepped up big in that game. Yeah, I think Trent Forrest, he's a he's a very underrated player. He's not the most flashy guy in the world, but he quietly, every year, really, has always gotten it done. He's the top facilitator for the team, a really good defender, and, you know, he, he won't force the issue, but he can quietly average double figures, whatever. I think the key for them is going to be what five-star forward Patrick Williams does. You know, he's slowly bring, being brought along, but if he, but if at any point this season in particular he can take that jump, that just raises Florida State ceiling in March because he has the, he has the potential and talent to do so. Yeah, and this this Florida State you mentioned Forrest, he's he's just a really good player. He's going to bring it on a consistent night, uh, nightly basis. You know, when needed, he can you know take over a game, but he can also kind of defer as well. Uh, I just I like Trent Forrest as a player, really solid piece for this team. And Williams, if he can take a step forward uh, going into March, this is a really dangerous Florida State team. One no one will want to see in their brackets. Uh, so I definitely would consider Florida State a contender in the ACC. Uh, moving on here, we've got uh, Butler winning again. They beat Creighton. Uh, the defense really showed up in this game. Uh, was you know really good. Kamar Baldwin played well. Uh, what do you make of Butler being Creighton? Yeah, I, I think you know, and I won't say I was a holdout because Butler played a really good schedule overall. But if you look at some of the teams that they played, you know, Missouri, Florida, Purdue, St. John's, you know, Butler hasn't played the elite offenses yet. Creighton, I would consider one of those. And to see, and just to see how Butler shut them down so easily to just really confirm how great the defense has been all year, still hasn't allowed 70 points in the game, it, it's, there's not many other words you could just say, but incredible for how Butler looks. And I think if this was Villanova doing this or even another more high-profile team in the Big East, we would be talking about them truly as a number one, number one team, number one seed, and a national title contender. But I think because people don't really know many players from Butler outside Kamala Baldwin, there's still this feeling of, yeah, but I'm not sure if they can go all the way. But I'm I'm definitely a believer in Butler, and I think they should be viewed as the favorite in the Big East just simply due to their consistency on both ends of the court. Yeah, if their name on the front of their jersey said Villanova, we'd be, uh, we'd be talking about how this is the year of Villanova once again, all the high praises that we – usually give to top tier teams like Villanova. Uh, we'd be yep. giving those to uh, Butler this year. Kamar Baldwin, you know, he kind of struggled a couple weeks ago, seemed to get out of his funk, you know, in the St. John's game, was questionable for this one, came out and performed at a high level. Uh, is he an All-American candidate? Would you say, like, first or second team uh, All-American? Do you think he's at that level? I would say, yes, he's on that level, but the problem for him is just simply the conference he's in because I don't see people putting him ahead of Marcus Howard or Miles Powell. 
and that's going to be the tough part that I, he could legitimately be the Big East Player of the Year. But if Howard and Powell just does what they normally do, which is average 23-plus points a game and carries their teams to the NCAA tournament where these complete, I, I don't know if Baldwin, who, you know, we have to say that he started from behind in the preseason, if, if he's going to be able to catch up unless Butler goes throughout the schedule with just two losses and convincingly wins the Big East regular season title. If it's close with a game or two separated, I think how or Howard will get the edge over. Yeah, it should be interesting to watch you know that going forward. Uh, the last question from this game, uh, we'll get into Villanova discussion later. If you were to pick a Big East champion, you know one team to win the Big East at this point, uh, would it be Butler? Would it be Villanova or the field? I guess. Oh, oh, uh, it would be Butler. Uh, Villanova, I've always had questions about. Uh, they they look they look fine overall. They they have six players averaging nine points a game. But if you're telling me that Brian Antoine just isn't going to have an impact this season overall, and they're just this is going to like do barely play them, then I I don't see Villanova being able to win the Big East because they they need him. I think even though they have good balance overall, there are still times where there like only one or two players show up. Butler has the consistency, at least on the defensive end, where even if Baldwin doesn't have his best game, they'll still be in it by their defense alone. Can't say that about Villanova, especially when they're away from home. So I'll give the I'll give the edge to Butler when it's great to use the title. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay with Butler as the favorite to win the Big East. Uh, Baldwin, the defense. Uh, Aaron Thompson has you know improved. Uh, you know Bryce Enzi. You know, inside as well. You know, Sean McDermott, Jordan Tucker. You know, they just have a lot of pieces that can step up. If Baldwin has a good game as well, you know, this is a... Each game's a victory for the Bulldogs, pretty much. Uh, moving forward, Michigan State took down Michigan this afternoon. Uh, the first question is, is Michigan State back? Uh, I think they are. Uh, Cassius Winston certainly looked like the national player of the year we were, you know, all talking about in the preseason. Uh, is he back in that discussion, and is Michigan State back in that teams of that you should consider favorites to win the national title? Uh, oh, yes and yes. I think uh, the, the thing that was hanging over Michigan State's head was whether or not Joshua Langford was going to return. And now that we have, now that everyone has clarity about that, then we can now judge the team for who they are, and they're still a very good team as long as Cassius Winston is healthy and able to go. Uh, he, I don't think he's ever stopped being a National Player of the Year candidate. I just think that that if he doesn't do better than last year, then it's hard for p- people to get from that award again, even if Michigan State wins the Big Ten. So I, I don't think that he'll win it, but he'll certainly be up there for another All-American type season. And as far as Michigan State's uh, title hopes, I think they benefit from the fact that the rest of the field is down from last year. But 
outside of outside of Xavier Tillman, who do you really trust? I mean, and Aaron Henry and Gabe Brown gives you for depth sometimes, but when Tillman's not on the court, they really struggle down low because Marcus Bingham and Malik Hall just aren't ready to contribute yet. But I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Rocky Watts because if he can continue to improve, he's had a couple of good games recently, then he can sort of replace what Langford was going to provide for them and give Cassius Winston another uh, another player to work off of. But I'm always weary of picking teams with guys who picking teams when there's only one consistent great contributor. That's why I'm still high on a team like, you know, Gonzaga or Duke, because they have multiple guys on any given game. Michigan State relies solely on Winston to facilitate for himself and others. So I, I think they have a shot, but I wouldn't be confident picking them. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to quite throw them in the net, you know, the uh, national title discussion as well. Uh, they have been playing a lot better, but I, I will need to see it, you know, throughout Big Ten play. They're going to play a little bit, you know, tougher teams. Michigan, you know, was banged up. No Isaiah Livers in this one. Uh, you know, Northwestern's not really a tough road opponent. Illinois isn't all that great. So I, I will need to see more to completely buy that Michigan State's back. Uh you know, you mentioned Henry and Brown. Both those players have stepped up, uh, been really good contributors both ways of the ball. Uh, you know, Winston, it, maybe he can just completely carry this team like he did last year. Uh, well, the jury's still out on you know whether they win the Big Ten or if Winston wins National Player of the Year. But this is certainly a good sign if you're a Michigan State fan. Uh, the other side of it, Michigan gets blown out. No Isaiah Livers. Uh, what should we kind of expect from the Wolverines uh, going forward? I think we should look at them as a top 25 caliber team, but not necessarily a title contender, especially with Livers out. I think it's unfair to judge them without arguably their best peer scorer on the roster. Uh, they, they have a lot of guys playing well. Eli Brooks, John Tesk has done better than I expected. But it, this is a team that will, it isn't as good defensively as I thought they would be. I think they have some, they have lapses at times. And, you know, it, it's hard to, you know, there are times they look like they're unranked, there are times they look like the top 10, but I think the answer is probably more in the middle. But, you know, in, in Juwan Howard's first year, I think we should give him time to really adjust and get used to the college game and let him make his mistakes and errors that all first coaches do. But I think anything they do, especially considering the class, income recruiting class they got in, it, it should just be looked at as a, a benefit as long as they don't implode and almost miss the tournament. I think they're fine, but I'm not picking them to go deep or anything. Yeah, I think they're kind of a back-end top 25 team myself. Uh, you know, we'll see if that can they can stay in the top 25 throughout the season uh, with Livers not really being healthy. Uh, you know, he, he is a really important piece, I think, 
maybe the most important piece outside Xavier Simpson, uh, just because he can play the four, uh, stretch the floor. You know, really when it was like Brandon Johns and John Teske, that's just a nightmare offensively because Xavier Simpson doesn't really have room to operate. Uh, John Teske and Brandon Johns both occupy space. You really kind of need, you know, at least three shooters to have an effective offense. And, uh, you know, Franz Wagner, Eli Brooks are fine shooters, but you need Isaiah Livers back in the lineup, uh, you know, as a team. But we'll see if... Well, the other thing, I'm also going to say that well, Eli Brooks and Dale DeJulius are also, including Zagreb Simpson, they're all six feet. That's a problem for teams who got bigger size, and we saw that today against Michigan State. If they can't, you know, create their offense on their own, then you can easily take them, especially when you have two bigs that can't really spread the floor. So, Limbers, like you said, unlocks all of that for them. And he, you know, he was the big reason why they was able to beat Gonzaga and the others in the Battle for the Atlantis tournament. So, I think once we see, you know, probably their second most, like you said, second most important player on the team, we can judge them going forward. But you're seeing at times with other teams what happens when you take out one key clog, everything else just about crumbles. Yeah, and Livers is certainly a really important piece for that team. Uh, we'll see, you know, I don't think they're a national title contender, as mentioned before, uh, but I do think they can win a game or two, maybe get back to the Sweet 16. Uh, and, you know, the Michigan program is looking up got that good recruiting class coming in so they have that going for them even if this year is maybe not a deep run type of year uh, like you know expectations were a few weeks ago uh, moving forward to Friday night's uh, upset of the night Wisconsin took down Ohio State uh, is this kind of like a my biggest thing uh, thinking of this game is this the Buckeyes regressing kind of to the mean, the preseason expectation that they're only maybe a top 15 team and not, you know, really a true national title contender? Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, I, I do think they, they have the depth and they're a good defensive unit to, to win four games. And my belief always is, especially with how balanced this season is, if you're good enough to win four games to get to the Final Four, then, you, then unless you know you're an 11 or 12 seed, then you could be good enough to win the other two. Uh, Ohio State, with a guy, Kim Weston, who I think is the strong concern for Big Ten Player of the Year, has a lot of support and help. But as you saw against the Wisconsin game, it, there, there are times where you know none of them help out. And when that's the rare case, then they have no shot. I mean, DJ Carton, EJ Liddell, CJ Walker, Luther Muhammad combined for six points. That's that's really tough to win, but more times than not, that's not gonna happen. So I'm not too concerned about Ohio State. More impressed by Wisconsin than anything, how they were able to stick to their game plan and win despite most of their players not having great games. Yeah, I think the thing with the Buckeyes is, you know, they don't really have that secondary score. If Wesson is, you know, gets in foul trouble or something, you know, 
they don't really have that pure secondary score just that you can say, go create a shot for us or we'll just throw it into you and get a, get us a bucket. Uh, you know, sometimes it's Washington. Sometimes you can get Muhammad. A lot of pieces that can step up, but none that are consistently just, you know, secondary scores behind a player. Uh, kind of as, you know, teams that, Teams that win in the past kind of have that. You saw with Virginia, uh, Villanova. If one guy has an off night, you know you can have you know a couple other people step up. I don't really know if the Buckeyes really have that, you know, necessarily. Yeah, it also hurts because I believe Kyle Young was out for the game, and if I'm not mistaken, so that certainly hurts what they can do inside, but there's also a fairly young team, only one senior in their rotation, and a lot and their and all the guards are young players as well. So there's only times, especially during the lull of Big Ten season where they'll just have shocking games, especially against, you know, bubble teams like Wisconsin and even in Illinois and others as well, who just simply want that game more. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are going to have Michigan State winning because they they just know how to get through Big Ten play without these bad losses. Whereas I think you're going to see Ohio State have a couple, but and I still think that they could be a team that made it to the Final Four because they because simply of their depth they have. Yeah. Uh, the next question uh, is: Wisconsin actually good? Uh, They've now beaten Tennessee on the road handily, won at Ohio State. The Tennessee wins kind of devalued, but certainly winning at Ohio State's a really good win. Uh, is this a Wisconsin team that maybe should be in the top 25 or you know, is a you know tournament lock at this point? Uh, would you say Wisconsin is any of those things? Uh, no, no, their offense is not good enough for me to ever feel confident saying after top 25 or even a tournament block. This is a team that still, whenever, you know, Nate River struggles, they get nothing. And this is a team who, outside of playing like nobody, can still barely reach, get past 60. The key for them is their defense. And we've seen the Badgers really lock in defensively. So as long as they can continue doing that and getting consistent production from support and cast, I mean, guys like Dietrich Trice, Link Ford, Brad Davidson, these are never going to be guys that are consistently going to get you 15-20. But if all of them collectively can give you 7-9 and nine a night and they, can hold, and they can hold their opponent to 60, they can win a few games and get your way into a tournament between the eight and ten but I'm not going to necessarily think that they'll probably lose their next two games, if anything, when they take on Illinois oh, when they take on Illinois, Penn State, Maryland, Michigan State. I I think they should just hope and pray they can go two and two in that stretch, but I would one and three is probably their likeliest bet and then two weeks from now you'd probably be asking someone else you know, if it's Wisconsin team, you're going to make tournament or not. So it's a good role for them right now, but it can quickly turn for them because they, they don't really have much offense, and that's not going to change going forward. 
Yeah, I, I kind of see Wisconsin more as a you know eight nine game. I think they're destined for the eight nine game, uh, just as a whole. You know, I think probably around five hundred in the Big Ten. Just they're decent as a team, but you mentioned you know you can't really expect uh, Demetri Trice, Brad Davidson, Lean Ford, all those guys to step up and win you know, games on a consistent basis like they won this one. Uh, but credit to them for actually getting the win uh, there. Moving on, Marquette took down Villanova rather handily. Uh, what is Marquette just in general? This is a team that, you know, gets blown, just completely obliterated at Creighton and then shows up a few days later and, you know, beats Villanova. What do you make of this Marquette team? Are they good or maybe not good? I don't know what to make of them. Uh, well, look, I think it's actually simple with Marquette. You tell me what Marcus Howard did in that game, and I'll tell you if they won or not. I mean, that's that's simply all how you can judge this Eagles team. They have every night two scores. They got Marcus Howard. And then Kobe McKean and Sakar and them will take turns being the other scorer. But that's literally all they have. And, you know, their defense fluctuates. That's the real concern about them. Because, like you said, there are times where they'll hold, you know, Villanova to 60 points in a win. And then they'll try their best to give up 100 to Creighton. You know, they'll give up over 80 to Maryland a lot. They'll let Wisconsin of all teams score 77 which is like the equivalent of a hundred for everyone else. Yeah. So I mean, this is they're they're a team that they they are who they are. It depends on what Marcus Howard does. That's why I think he has a shot for Player of the Year because he's going to have to literally score twenty five a night just to keep them in it going the rest of the way. Yeah. This I just as a whole I don't know what you can expect on a nightly basis with this Marquette team. I think they probably end up being a tournament team, maybe 8-9 game. I currently have them as a 10, but we'll see about that. Uh, the other side of this, uh, Villanova, uh, they beat Kansas a couple weeks ago. Now they lose to Marquette. Uh, are they still, obviously we touched on it earlier, You know, we both have Butler as the favorites in the Big East. Can they still win the Big East uh, and make it, deep run in the tournament. I'm not so sold on them after this game, but wanted to get your thoughts there. Yeah, yeah, like I said earlier, if, if you're telling me that Brian Antoine is, is not going to be a factor the rest of the season, then I, I don't think that they have it they have it in them. Because even though they're getting you know consistent production from Justin Moore, Jerry Ryder, Robinson Earl, although he sort of come back to hurt after a really good start to the season, I just don't see Villanova consistently doing enough to win. Their defense hasn't been as great as years past, and their offense has struggled as well. But, I mean, considering that they, you know, beat Kansas, it, it's hard for me to, to ever discount them. But I think if you compare them to Butler, they're much more vulnerable to lose to a DePaul and to a Creighton and even to – a province sort than they are than Butler would be because I trust Butler more that they're going to bring on defensive end every night. Yeah, 
moving forward, uh, Texas Tech uh, blows out Oklahoma State. Uh, are you willing to throw Texas Tech back in the discussion as one of the top in teams in the Big 12 alongside teams like West Virginia, Baylor, and Kansas? Uh, I think I am after this performance uh, just because their offense has brought it along. They have that switchable versatility where they can basically play five guards uh, with Holyfield, Clark, Ramsey, you know, playing kind of as bigger guys. Uh, what do you make of this Texas Tech team after this blowout victory? Yeah, it, I, I actually kind of uh, take a second. Oklahoma State, I'm not sure what their issues are. But I'm I'm kind of looking at Mike Bolton in a different light lately because Oklahoma seems to be better than what they are. But as far as Texas Tech goes, Mike, the concern I've had with them, as I always have with them, is do they have do they have the front court depth to hang in with the Big Twelve? Is TJ Holyfield and Chris Clark, who really isn't even a big man, but he he he's a top rebounder, is that going to be enough? And so far, the answer is yes, because their, their guards, you know, James Ramsey looks like a first-round pick. Moretti, Edwards, have been doing well. Holy people has, has held his own as this uh, Stephen F. Austin grad transfer. There's a whole lot of other mid-major transfers who are doing worse than him, so Tyson Tech should be lucky landing him. And Terrence Shannon is going to be one of those rookies who keeps getting better and better to the point where he won't be as good as Ramsey, but he's someone that I think can have that Jared Culver type jump in here too. So I, I'm a believer in them. I think the offense that the other teams have make it so that they're not unbeatable by any means. And I think as long as Texas Tech continues to play well on a defensive end and their freshmen and bigs, don't get exploited, there's no reason why they can't be big 12 contenders again. Yeah. I'm not sure they're able to beat, you know, the likes of Kansas at the top uh, this year. Just given the front court questions, I do think Kansas, uh, West Virginia are two teams that could exploit that matchup for easy points inside. Uh, but I do think Texas Tech is kind of back in that top 15, 20-ish team. Uh, tier that they wore preseason. I had them as a preseason top 10 team. Maybe not quite at that level, but they're certainly uh, at least getting better. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of teams right now that you're, you kind of see what their feelings is already. Texas Tech is a team that can still grow. They, there's still a lot of different lineups that Chris Spears is using, different ways to utilize these versatile, these versatile guys, and like like you said, as long as Ramsey and uh, Shannon continues to improve, that they're going to be a team that I wouldn't be surprised if they make another deep run. I think they're, they're, we have to put them at the caliber of other programs that we sort of believe are capable of making second weekend runs in the NCAA tournament. And, I, and as long as you know Ramsey doesn't hit a freshman ball. Why not? Why not pick them? Yeah, uh, moving forward onto uh, the AAC 
games, AAC, SEC, uh, just two that I wanted to talk on. Uh, the first being Memphis uh, losing to Georgia. Uh, just a big win for the Bulldogs, SEC as a whole. Uh, the real key in this game, Anthony Edwards really got some help. Uh, Rayshon Hammond stepped up. Uh, this Bulldogs team, I think, is kind of taking a little bit of a step forward uh, here as of late, just with you know other production from guys not named Anthony Edwards, which has been helpful. Uh, is this a Georgia team that can get back to the tournament? Uh, it, it's it's hard for me to say because that was the Memphis game. It was the the best performance defensively, easily by Georgia. At the same time, they were playing a a very young Memphis team who was missing their second best player in DJ Jeffries. So that has to be taken into account. I think winning without Anthony Edwards having a great game is always going to be big. Uh, right now they don't they don't have a bad loss, so that helps them as well. I mean, there's other plenty of other teams who can't say that, so they're they're in, they're in a better spot than I think they are. But it, it, I think they are solely because I think Anthony Edwards is going to drop a thirty point game to beat Auburn or Kentucky. They're, they're going to get one of those kinds of wins, and as long as they can just avoid Missouri and Vanderbilt. I, I think they're in good shape, but I don't trust the Tom Crean-led team, and I don't trust a team that really only has one legitimate double-point score. Although Hammonds has played well down low for them. Yeah. I They've kind of set themselves at a digits advantage. Uh, one, playing close bio games. Uh, they need to win those a little bit more handily. I, I don't know if they're actually all that good as a team uh but certainly if they go you know 13 5 in sec play you could see them getting back into the tournament contention uh, right now they're a little bit handicapped but certainly uh, can get themselves back in the conversation uh, you mentioned avoid the bad losses that will be key uh, especially in sec that is not really all that good uh, the next game, Wichita State blows out Ole Miss. Uh, yeah, the, this Wichita State team, I think, is back uh, to being a tournament team. I think maybe a top four seed caliber team. Uh, your thoughts on the Shockers thus far this year? Yeah, this is vintage Greg Marshall, which is he gets the guys. Last year was, even if you for the struggle, there are still positive signs. But this team, the balance, the the quality efforts from Eric Stevenson and Jamarius Burton, it's you can't really say enough about this soccer team. They are strong defensively. They can score enough when need to. And they have a fairly good amount of quality wins already. So... I, I, I like them. I do wonder if they have enough to beat the upper echelon teams. Because the best team they played so far this season was West Virginia, and that was a loss. So, and we'll see coming up with Memphis, as long as D.J. Jeffries can play, will be like going up against a true top-tier team. But I think 
Uh, the next question I was going to ask, uh, who's the favorites in the AC, um, Memphis or Wichita State, or I guess you could throw some other team, uh, Houston, I guess, but I really think it's Wichita State or Memphis. I like Wichita State to win the AC, but your thoughts on who wins that league? Uh, if if I can get Jeffries back, if he if he only misses one game, then I think I'd go with Memphis because I think they just have a bigger ceiling than Wichita State, while still displaying you know some maturity about them because they've yet to lose they've yet to lose a bad game. I don't really consider Georgia that loss at all. I I you know one team I, I'm interested in is SMU. They're, they're you know we didn't think much of them preseason. But Tyson Jolly, the JUCO transfer who came from Baylor after not playing much, he's been great. Uh, the TCU transfer, Kendrick Davis, has been phenomenal. I, you know, I, I know that TCU had some guards last year, so he didn't play much. But you kind of wonder why Jamie Dixon couldn't find minutes for him. I think SMU, with their offense, could be a, a bigger factor in making a three-team race. I'm really interested in what the Mustangs have going on. Yeah, we'll, we'll see yeah, if they well, can maybe get back into or get into that league conversation. Uh, Houston as well is a team that could be up in the conversation. AC as a whole at the top is, uh, you know, it's not a great league, but I do think it's a little bit better than some of these uh, higher mid-major leagues like the WCC, Mountain West, uh, just because of the overall depth of the league. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure if there's a Final Four contender within the group, but I think they'll get, they'll get their solid fair share of teams who can make, who can make a little noise. I wouldn't. You know, be laughing if I saw Wichita State. I would take them seriously in the big dance, and I think they're fine. I think the, the team I'm looking at at this appointment is UConn because you'd, you'd expect more from them with what they had coming in. But once again, outside of Christian Vital, Mattel, you're just getting average collective efforts from everyone else. Yeah, throw Cincinnati in there as well, losing to the fighting Ron Hunters uh, past weekend as well. Uh, the next game wanted to discuss, uh, Maryland kind of blew out Indiana at home. Uh, what do you make of this game? Uh, is Maryland consistent enough to you know make a deep run in March? And uh, did Indiana kind of have their record inflated? Uh, just earlier in the season, are they actually a good team? I, I I don't think Indiana is a good team. But they have a they have a fantastic win against Florida State, but at the same time, so does Pitt. So it it, it it's um, it can't hold their hat on just that. The problem with them is that they're not great defensively. They they give up a lot of points. I mean, they gave up ninety to Nebraska of all teams at home. And, and their offense sort of fluctuates. There are times when it looks really good when Trace Jackson Davis is on and even Justin Smith and Lonnie Durham, but then there are times where 
if those guys pull off, they have no one else really to help them out. So I don't think much of Indiana. I don't see them being a tournament team. But as for Maryland, I think they're a Sweet 16 and beyond capable contenders. But they're they're due for another three or four dumb losses for no reason. Like I could see them beating Michigan State on the road, but then I could see them falling to Western of all teams. They're, they're, the consistency isn't there, but in the tournament, you only have to be consistent for four games in a row. So I, I think I would trust them more in the tournament than I would actually in Big Ten play. I could see them going 11-7 Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're definitely a little bit inconsistent for my liking. I probably won't pick them to go deep in the brackets, although we'll have to see how the season transpires. As for Indiana, I think they're kind of a team. I really don't care a whole lot about watching them. Uh, if their name wasn't Indiana, I don't think they'd get quite as much publicity. Uh, just as a whole, I think the f- name on the front of the jerseys, why people are like, oh, this maybe is a tournament team. Uh, good job for Archie Miller when maybe they're just like, they have that nice win, but they're a really inconsistent team. Uh, as a whole, you don't really know if you're going to get, you know, 30 from Trace Jackson Davis or 10. Uh, Devontae Green had that nice game against Florida State, helped them win that one. But he's also capable to turn up a big goose egg. So any has just a team I don't really trust at all to make the NCAA tournament uh, going forward. Yeah, well, I think with Archie, I think there should be a real legit conversation now that we're year three. Where has the development happened? Because if Dayton... He developed legit three, four-year guys who can help make deep runs. Now, in the end, uh, he'll get these one-and-done freshmen who don't really need or get developed anyway. And as far as everyone else, you're not seeing the, the growth that's happening. This, and they have a decent record, but it doesn't mean they have a decent resume. So it's like, at what point are we going to see the guys who signed the Dayton improve? And I had a tweet out about, you know, how... A lot of these, you know, old A-10 coaches who get big jobs, they haven't been cutting it much lately. And that includes Shaka Smart as well at Texas, you know. These guys, they get better talent, but they're not developed in them, which is the whole point as to why they were hired, so. Yeah, developing talent is maybe the most underrated uh, aspect in coaching. Uh, You see it with you know, the great coaches, you look at, at the top, Tony Bennett, you know, Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome weren't studs when they went to school, but by the time they left, they were NBA players. Uh, you look at Jay Wright, you know, who would have thought Dante DiVincenzo would be a top 20 pick, but there he is, top 20 player. Uh, just, that's a few examples uh, here recently. I mean, look at Butler. I mean, every year, Butler has a go-to scorer who starts out, you know, as just a, a meager role player. And every year, whether it's the hard Jordan or even the old coaches, there's just a continuing level of development. Same with Gonzaga. And even, and even places like Kansas and Michigan State. If you can't 
develop guys, then it doesn't matter what kind of five-star guy you bring in because we're not going to be surrounded by much. Yeah, I think the key is just getting those talented but not great players, a Cassius Winston archetype uh, that you can kind of bring in, uh, carry along for a couple years, and then by year three, year four, they're really good players uh, just as a whole. Cassius Winston, you know, sophomore year, he was really inconsistent. Uh, And then junior year, he's Big Ten Player of the Year, uh, leads Michigan State to the Final Fours. Development is a very underrated part in college basketball. That's why Bill Self at Kansas wins all the Big 12 12 titles in a row. He'll add a a, a five-star one-and-done to the roster. But his teams are always buoyed by quality level three, four year guards at the helm. So if you can find that great balance, that helps. That's sort of why, you know, you look at Kentucky and Duke, they have their struggles because their teams are always young with one and done guys. So then meanwhile, Michigan State and Kansas have find that right combo, which is why they have the success, why I kind of trust them more in March. And I think we're seeing teams and coaches like Texas Tech as well now, Oregon, trying to find that right one and down. Yeah, I think just being able to bring in those guys, development just as a whole, uh, so big to making some programs great. Gonzaga as well, throw them in there. Uh, you know, Corey Kispert a year ago was just a average role player, worst starter on the team. Now he's a stud. Uh, Killing Tilly, we know what he is at this point, but, uh, you know, year one Killing Tilly was like, why is this guy getting minutes? And then by the end of uh, year two, we're like, okay, this guy's a future uh, all-star in the NBA. Uh, It's that well with uh, Mark Few and Gonzaga. Some of these coaches and programs just are great at developing players. Uh, and Archie Miller, going back to the main point, has failed to do so thus far at Indiana. Uh, the next game I uh, wanted to talk to, a uh, team that has developed uh, pretty good, Penn State. Uh, they're pretty much in safe category when it comes to going to the tournament. Uh, what do you make of Penn State uh and as well, Iowa, a little bit of a defensive concerns, at least in my assessment of Iowa. What do you make of this uh, outcome? Yeah, those two teams are really interesting. I think with Iowa, you know, depending on where they finish, I think you can make a legit argument that Luca Garza is the Big Ten player of the year. Uh, they have really good guard play, and even though they won't have Jordan Bohannon, they have a pair of freshman guards who, uh, in Joe Tussain and C.J. Frederick, who have come in and sort of replaced his production. So I think this Iowa team is really good. I think, like I said, their defensive concerns, they've never really been a defensive juggernaut, but if they're going to be a top 20 scoring offense, they can get by especially when scoring being down overall in college basketball. And then as far as Penn State goes, I think there are people who will never 
believe in them as long as uh, Pat Chambers is the head coach. But as long as Lamar Stevens continues to play at all conference level and they get consistent production from the guards, Myron Jones and Miles Dredd, and even Curtis Jones as well, I I wouldn't want to play them. I, I'm always weary of teams who have great forwards because especially when the games get tight, you can have guys who can get you get you easy buckets, and I I wouldn't want to see those two. And it'll be interesting how they how they get seeded once they complete twenty games of Big Ten basketball. Yeah, right now I've them as a four seed uh, going into the tournament. I think they'll start losing a couple games. Uh, Big Ten plays just it's going to be brutal for a lot of teams. I would throw Penn State in there as well, uh, but. They've certainly done their part to make the tournament minus a complete collapse. Iowa, I'm still not a believer in. I've seen it too many times with Iowa. Uh, even last year, you know, I started to buy into them, and they kind of just fall apart in Big Ten play and you know end up as a 10 seed. So I'm a little more wait and see on Iowa, but Penn State's definitely a team I can buy into. Yeah, I, I I agree. I see. I think as far as the Big Ten in total, it's like we trust Michigan State. Everyone else from two to twelve, it's like they they'll have their weeks where they'll go two and one, they'll go two and zero oh and look fantastic, and then they'll go zero oh and two and we'll have them be are they even a tournament team? Talk. I think every the rest of them, it's, they're so close that it'll be uh, nothing but trading wins the rest of the way. Yeah, Big Ten play is going to be fun to watch. Just all together, we're just going to be going back and forth with discussions. Who's good, who's not. Uh, it should be fun, I guess, to put into words. Uh, and interesting to see what transpires there. Uh, going to go through a quick rundown of a few games. Uh, Furman beats East Tennessee State. Wofford over UNC Greensboro. I uh, wanted to get in the SoCon. This isn't good for two-bid SoCon, although I do think the League 1 through 4 has shown itself. Uh, all four teams are really good. Yeah, I, I think collectively the non-conference just, it, it wasn't in the course. They just didn't get enough good wins. And even the LSU wins that they had, it, it doesn't mean as much now. But they're going to be, a, it's going to be a fascinating Fascinating conference to watch. A fascinating conference tournament. It's amazing that Berman, who was sort of the darling of the conference, but then sort of took sort of a step back in league play, they're, they're now the favorites thanks to Jordan Lyons. Whereas all four teams, I mean, they're all going to be trading wins with one another. So I'm not going to be surprised at who gets the edge out of the way. The goal for them is just not to lose games. Tell anyone outside the top four. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if maybe you know a team can emerge from the pack. UNC Greensboro has to be kicking themselves. They've lost you know, this close one to Wofford. Uh, had NC State on the ropes before buzzer beater from half court for Markel Johnson. Uh, UNCG, I think, is a team that maybe is the best team in the SoCon. Uh, but has suffered some really, you know, a couple really tough losses. 
uh, late here. Moving forward, Kentucky took down Missouri. Any you know thing you want to take away from this game? Yeah, as long as Ashton Higgins is not seriously injured, then I think Kentucky will be fine. Uh, Missouri is nothing more than just a, a mind trap for bubble teams in conference play. So it's good to, but it was good to see Nick Richards have twenty-one and twelve. That is a must. That that that's a needed performance because even though Nate Cena has given the moments. He just doesn't have the feeling as Richard Strayer Montgomery has. So just to see one of the bigs just have a real good game is going to help with confidence. And even quickly having 23 off the bench, that that sort of helps because, again, I just don't know what John Calhoun is going to do with all of those wings because none of them have performed up to what we expected so far. So as long as I think Haken's help and just – Finding consistent players. You know, it's nice to have someone different each game step up, but you kind of don't want to see one guy go for 25 and then three others go for two, six, and seven. You know, you want to see consistent effort from every one of your main rotation players going forward because if that can't happen, I'm not sure they can win the SEC. Yeah. Uh, You know, going forward, Tyrese Maxey really needs to continue to be that high-end performer. He showed it in the Louisville game. He showed it in Michigan State. Uh, but he's also had some clunkers himself. Uh, Evansville game, uh, notably. Uh, we'll see if he can you know, be consistent. If so, this maybe is a Kentucky team that can make a deep run. But I do think you know, Keon Brooks... Uh, it, the freshmen haven't really performed outside of uh, Ash or Tyrese Maxey, which is a concern. Uh, moving forward, Providence wins at DePaul. The Friars are now two and zero, uh, and the league leaders in the Big East. Anything you want to take away from this game? Yes, that Providence is going to be an absolute headache to judge because they just looked awful in a non-conference. They have really four, they have three or four unforgivable losses that you just can't take back. And, you know, beating Georgetown to Paul helps, but I'm not sure either of those are really wins that you want to hang your hat on. I think they're, they're, they're a good team. They're going to win their fair share of games in the Big East, but I still think in the end they're going to finish last unless they can find some way to get consistent production outside of Alpha Diallo. Maybe maybe Pipkins can be that guy and have a big second half run, but it's you know it's, it was a nice week for them, but this probably is going to be the highlight of their season. Yeah, moving forward, Arizona took down Arizona State. They won that game pretty handily. Uh, any thoughts from that game as a whole? I, my big takeaway, Arizona State's not really that good. Uh, your takeaway from that game? Oh, it, it's exactly yours. I, I think Arizona State is going to be creeping towards the bottom tier of the Pac-12 because this is another blowout if you include the St. Mary's one from just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they, they, it seems that they can only find one player to show up per game and everyone else has to sit it out. 
uh, it was a good defensive performance by Arizona, something we haven't seen in a while. And, you know, they're showing that they're able to win without Nico Mannion going off. And I think Arizona will be fine. I'm not sure they're a top five national contender team, but they, they took care of business against a team that I think we made it vastly overrated in the preseason Sun Devils. Yeah. Uh, LSU wins at Tennessee. I mark it up as nothing but you know, Lamonte Turner not being there. LSU's just the more talented team. Uh, and Turner's kind of the only, maybe was the glue keeping Tennessee together. Without him, they've been pretty bad. Uh, your takeaway from this game? Well, I mean, the good news for Tennessee is that they, they got guard play from Santiago Vesovi, who admittedly, I don't I didn't know who he was until people were tweeting about him before the game started. Uh, but apparently that's how bad the guard play is, that they can just pull guys out of anywhere and get them to play. But they had Yes Pons and Jordan Bowden play all forty minutes. They have no depth. They have they have young players who just aren't ready to contribute. John Fulkerson is not an SEC, you know, big man that should be playing 36 minutes. And, you know, I think LSU is fine. I don't think they're a a, a great, great team. But see, having Javante Smart and Skylar Mays look like their old selves is it, good for the game. But I think we should wait to judge LSU until they take on the top teams because Tennessee legitimately looks like a bottom four team in the SEC along with A&M, uh, Missouri, and Vandy. Yeah. Uh, next question, is Texas back? They lose to Baylor uh, rather handily. Uh, your thoughts on tech, this Baylor-Texas game? Uh, my big takeaway is that Texas is just awful and Baylor's you know, top-end team, so this pretty much what it, we expected. Yeah, I mean, I think Texas is back. I think they're back to the NIT, which is where they're going to be going because they can't score at all. And, you know, there are times where they look like that they had offense, but it's just not there. And their defense has been fine. But since scoring is down for everyone, technically everyone else's defenses could be considered fine. So, the advantage that the Longhorns had has sort of been neutrified by the three-point line being taken out and the and offense is struggling. They, they just don't have – they have no one that you could say that you can count on scoring 15 points in the game. It literally has to be a collective effort of seven guys collectively scoring nine to 12 points and hoping that it's enough. I think Texas is a bottom-half team. I think – Shaka Smart might be having, I think Shaka Smart's really on the hot seat, and Baylor took care of business against the bottom tier team as it should. Yeah. Uh, we don't really need to get into the development, but Shaka Smart has struggled at developing players. Matt Coleman, you know, year three was expected to be his year. He's not, you know, he's been inconsistent at best. Uh, Kerwin Roach, you know, a couple of years ago, dating back, uh, you know, going into last year, we're like, okay, this guy could be really good, and uh, he wasn't really 
you know, all that. Uh, just development with Shaka Smart has not been there, and that's that's why this Texas program probably needs to move on from him because he's all not not all that good. Uh, the last game we wanted to get into Colorado uh, just lost at home to Oregon State earlier today. Uh, any thoughts from that one other than college basketball being the way it is uh, and Colorado not having an ability to break a press? Yeah, that is that. That's a really bad loss for Colorado because I think you know for those who aren't who aren't really into college basketball, the road swing at Utah and at Colorado is probably the most difficult thing to do in a week. Uh, you saw Oregon fall to Colorado, and you know you really can't and almost lost to Utah. But you kind of can't really, you know, slam Oregon for that because that happens to literally everyone every year in the Pac-12. The problem for Colorado is their team who I think is going to end up on the right side of the bubble, but you can't lose to Oregon State. I don't think Oregon State's a tournament team. I don't think they have it in them to make it there. And if you're Colorado, there's just, you know, having this at home, coming off of that big win, you know, it, it just wasn't a good look for them, especially since they're going to have to go through their own road strings, road swings in the conference anyway. But I think Colorado, they're an okay team. I think on any given night, as you saw this week, they can beat anyone, but they can just about lose to anyone. They're okay, but nothing, nothing more, nothing less of them. Yeah, Oregon State lost to uh, Texas A&M a couple weeks ago, so... Uh, not really a good loss to have on the resume. Uh, moving on here, we're going to get into some pick'em. Uh, starting with Monday's uh, game of the night, West Virginia at Oklahoma State. This really the only decent game on Monday. Uh, I'm taking West Virginia to win at Oklahoma State. They showed they can win at Kansas. Uh, if you can nearly win at Kansas, you can beat an Oklahoma State that got obliterated by Texas Tech. Your pick there? Oh, West Virginia easily. I, I think that loss they had at Texas Tech was so bad that it might actually lose a couple more games. Yeah. Moving on to Tuesday's action, a little bit better slate. Ohio State will play at Maryland. This should be an intriguing one. I'm rolling with Maryland. I don't really like it. Can't trust that they'll show up in the game until there's five minutes left. And it's already too late. But a uh, low-scoring affair uh, at home. I think I'll lean with the Terrapins, although I really don't like it. Yeah, I mean, even without the Mitchell Twins, I think Maryland has enough without Kyle, without Kyle Young likely in this game where I think Jalen Young will, will get it done in a head-to-head matchup at home. I think Maryland will be... Uh, I think Maryland will be up to the task and, and, and squeak this one out. Moving forward, Penn State will play at Rutgers. Uh, I'm going to go with the Nittany Lions. Uh, don't hold me to this long term, but I think with no Geo Baker, I think that's a factor. Uh, so give me the Nittany Lions to win on the road, although Rutgers is a really good basketball team. Uh, dismantled Nebraska on Friday. Maybe a top 25 team uh, in the rankings. Still to be determined. Probably not for they people, but they're a good team. 
but I'll take Penn State to win this one. Yeah, I, I think Penn State honestly has too much. I, without, without Baker, I don't know where Rutgers is going to find the offense, but um, Penn State with Watkins is going to be too much. Yeah. Moving yeah. on, Villanova will play at Creighton. I'll take the Blue Jays to win at home. It's a tough road trip for Villanova. They have to go to Marquette, then to Creighton a few days later. I'll take Creighton to win at home. That's always a raucous place to play. A tough road environment for a relatively young Villanova team. A team that will play extremely fast in Creighton. So give me the Blue Jays to win at their home court. If there's any game that Robinson Earl is going to be able to, you know, get back in the groove, it's going to be against a Creighton team that has next to no inside depth. If he can't have a big game in this one, then I'm really going to be concerned about the Wildcats going forward. And I, I don't want to pick them losing back-to-back games, so I'm going to go feeling over that. Yeah, certainly good thoughts there. Uh, Baylor will play at Texas Tech. Uh, that will also be on Tuesday. Give me the Red Raiders at home. Uh, one, I think if it's played at Baylor, I'd like the Bears. But given it's at Texas Tech, I'll take the Red Raiders. Uh, they've got some momentum going after that big Oklahoma State win. Uh, so give me them to win at their home court. Yeah, there was a brief five-second moment. I may or may not have been part of it where people wondered if Texas Tech was going to be a tournament team after those string of losses. They've fought back with vengeance, and I think their fans are going to be absolutely up for this game to really make a statement and get back in the national picture. I got the Red Raiders, too. Yeah, should be a fun one. Moving forward to Wednesday's game, uh, East Tennessee State at UNC Greensboro. I think UNC Greensboro finally rights the wrongs and wins uh, a close one against East Tennessee State. Your pick for that one. East Tennessee State's defense travels everywhere, and I'm just and I'm just a believer that they're going to have just enough to pull off a road road win. Coming off a of tournament loss, I think they'll win. Probably neither team gets past 52 points. Also on Wednesday on ESPN Plus, once again, Kansas will play at Iowa State. I'll take the Jayhawks to win at the on the road. Uh, if Iowa State can lose to Florida A&M at home, they can certainly lose to Kansas. So give me the Jayhawks. Tyrese uh, Halliburton, Halliburton was, is going to have to go for a 20-point triple-double just to keep the Cyclones in this. I think the Jayhawks win easily by 20-plus. Yeah, we'll see if maybe Prentice Nixon or someone else can step up. But yeah, it's basically Halliburton or bust. Uh, Seton Hall will play at Xavier. Uh, I'll take I'll take the Pirates to win on the road. I'm not a big buyer into Xavier at this point in the season. Miles Powell has a big road game uh, in this uh, Seton Hall team that's playing their best basketball right now. Yeah, unsung hero for Seton Hall, Romero Gill. Uh, without without Mamu in the post and the fact that they're not going to play. Uh, Torreon uh, Thompson at all. Gill's been phenomenal on defensive end, and you're seeing guys like Jarrett Rowland really 
get comfortable scoring as well. I really like the Pirates, and I'm with you. I'm not huge on Xavier. They're fine, but they've really struggled against good teams this year. Yeah, Seton Hall, I, I really like what they're doing. Roden at the four, kind of flip-flopping between E.K. Obiagu uh, with Mamu out of the lineup. Uh, Seton Hall's playing their best basketball. Uh, we touched on San Diego State earlier. Do they face the trap game loss at uh, Wyoming? I'll say I'll say no. Uh, don't want to really pick against San Diego State at this point, but certainly a game I think could be close come to the wire. Yeah, I, I mentioned this before. Wyoming, good or bad, just their locale makes this a very tough game to play. I think it will go down to the final two minutes, but. As long as they hold Malinado in check, I think the Aztecs will win by five or less. Moving on to Thursday's action, Purdue will play at Michigan. Uh, this big one, depending on if uh, Livers comes, will decide if this is a close game or 20-point game. If Livers plays, Michigan wins handily. I'll still take them to beat Purdue because Purdue... As we've seen tonight, they cannot win away from uh, Mackey Arena. Yeah, I think they're they're outside of their what for their ten first ten minutes of the game against Virginia. Their offense has been a wreck. I don't know if they can play Nodell Eastern, Trayvon Williams, and Matt Harms at the same time. I don't think that's going to work. They just have to find a guard to put in there somewhere. I think Michigan handles this. With or without livers, because I think as long as Michigan gets to 55 points, they'll win the game. Yeah. The the really only saving grace for Purdue has been St- Sasha Stefanovic. Uh, if he goes off, the, maybe Purdue can win, but otherwise Michigan should win comfortably. Uh, Thursday, the big one of the night, uh, I guess there's two, uh, three really good ones outside of the one we just touched on. Uh Memphis will play at Wichita State. Still no word on Jeffries. Uh, let's just assume he plays. I'll still take the Shockers to win. If Jeffries plays, I got the Tigers. If he doesn't, then give me the Shockers. Moving forward, Arizona at Orion. I think the Ducks take care of business at home. Uh, coming back to Eugene. Uh, should be a tough road environment for Arizona. Uh, first real tough uh Pac-12 matchup, so give me the Ducks to win at home. Yeah, you know, we talked about Gonzaga and San Diego State go for one seed, but Oregon still has a resume to make a case for a one seed out west that they can handle business in the Pac-12, and this is a must-win in that kind of scenario. So I'm going to take Oregon, too, and see how they go, although they really shot themselves in the foot with the Colorado loss. Yeah, uh, and then Last one of the night, BYU will play at St. Mary's. Uh, I'll take the Gales to win at home. Uh, coming off that tough loss to Pacific. Uh, should be a fun game. Uh, both these teams are tournament teams as of now. Uh, but I'll take the Gales to win at home. Yeah, I don't want to pick against Randy Bennett losing two games, but... The loss of Matthias Koss is going to be felt whenever St. Mary's plays against Yoli Childs or Phillips Trusa. The Gales have no answer for Childs down low. 
And as long as BYU can match St. Mary's on the, on the three-point line, I don't see how St. Mary's is going to stop them, even at home. So give me, the, give me BYU. Okay, that will wrap it up for the podcast. Any last things you want to plug uh, before we sign off here? Yeah, I uh, appreciate everyone who want to check out uh, the Bustin Brackets site uh, or Bustin Brackets Twitter handle for me and for many other writers as long as, as well as Jonathan's work and everyone, everyone else on the independent college basketball circle. Yeah, make sure to follow him at HoopsNut351. Tristan does an unbelievable job there for busting brackets. Uh, thanks again for coming on, Tristan, and have an enjoyable evening here. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. You as well, and look forward to a great slate of games without having to deal with football anywhere. Yeah, no football uh, until, I guess, next Saturday. Should be fun. Thanks to the listeners for signing off, and have a good evening.